so Genesis chapter 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Uh, So now John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that light, oh, sorry. In him was life, and that light, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that all so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and is dwelling among us and made his dwelling among us. We may have seen his glory, uh, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Hello everyone, great to be with you, great to see you all, great to be able to spend some time with you here at, at Uni Church. I've been looking forward to spending a chunk of, of time with you and uh, especially it's great to see uh, some new faces, some new people who have joined in this this year, seeing this is my first time at Uni Church this year. But let me pray that God would give us understanding of his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you so much for the chance to meet together as your people and to do so safely. Lord, we do pray that tonight, as we listen to your word, that you might open not just our minds, but even our hearts to what you have written here for us, that we might not just understand, but that we might obey. Amen. The very first words of a story have a way of capturing you and and drawing you into its narrative, uh, or they don't, and you drift off into disinterest And you put that book down and you go hunting for another book that can kind of hold your attention for a little bit longer. Uh, I have uh, some favourite first words of a book, see if you can guess which these are from. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub and he almost deserved it. Does anyone know where that one's from? Narnia? Yeah, which one? Oh, straight away. Well done. Yes, Voyage of the Dawn. It was always going to be C.S. Lewis with me. I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. On the other hand, there was a book that I almost couldn't get past the first word. Uh, The first word was renowned. Has anyone heard of The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown? I almost couldn't get past the first word. It starts, it says something like, a renowned curator so-and-so does such-and-such, who cares? Uh, But it, it, I, 
It's the worst crowbarring of information I've ever seen in a novel. Uh, Proper writing will show you that the character is renowned and significant without kind of just blatantly telling you. Uh, It just was was terrible. Uh, Really, the rest of the Da Vinci Code was a sustained attack on the Bible, uh, saying that actually the Bible was all a conspiracy to hide the true life of Jesus. Uh, At the time when it came out, it threatened to be the end of Christianity. As you know it, that didn't worry me in the slightest. I went off and read it. Uh, And it turns out that the marketing of the book was far cleverer than the book itself. Uh, The writing was so terrible that even the most hardened of atheists would have begged for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ by the time they got to the end. I've waited so long to get that off my chest. But there is no beginning quite like the one that we have before us today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The words are simple, the words are mesmerizing, and the words are heavy with meaning. And these words begin not just the story of creation and even not just the story of the book of Genesis, but actually these words begin the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of God, and the whole story of our relationship with God, our place in this world and in this universe that has been made by Him. And these, these words, even as they begin this story, they also tantalise us with some hints as to some things that were there before the beginning, before the story begins. And so tonight, I didn't want to just rush straight into the story, we'll get to that next week. Tonight, I actually just wanted to stop for a week and just think a little bit about these hints of some things that were there before the beginning. Uh, So there's three things, I think, in particular that are of interest. Uh, First of all, there was God. Second of all, there was love. And thirdly, there was, or there maybe was, darkness. Uh, There's a bit of a question mark over that. And there's an outline that some of you got as you you came in, and I think something's coming up on the screen behind me. I have no idea. But uh, there was God, there was love, and there was darkness. Uh, And you can take some notes if you're the type of person who likes to do that. So first of all then, let's start at the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning was God. When the world was made, God was already there. Straight away we know that the Bible will be his story. Uh, God is the hero, God is the protagonist, God is even the storyteller. Around God, this story of stories will form and take shape. And our place in this story will always be defined by our relationship with him. And there's no proof here for the existence of God. There's no clever argument for his reality. Uh, Although throughout the rest of the Bible, the clearest evidence of the existence of God will be what God has made, will be our world and will be us. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his work according to Psalm 19. And there's no explanation here of God's beginning or where he came from. God just is. He is the beginningless creator and if you work your way through to the very end of the Bible, he is also our endless king. He is and he is eternal and God stands completely independent of the creation that he is about to make. God is not reliant upon what he will make in any way, shape or form, even though what he makes will be completely reliant upon him in every way. God is not lonely and needs 
to make someone in order to, to speak with them and, and talk to them. God is not bored and so he must make something in order that he might play with it. And God is not unappreciated that somehow he requires an audience. Nor is there somehow some other cosmic eternal power here at the beginning in, with whom God is in conflict. And so creation is not an, an accidental byproduct of their struggle, as is the case in so much of ancient and even modern mythology. And nor is our world an arena where God and some other power can settle their differences, like is the plot of so many fantasy stories. There is just God before the beginning. And God is not definable by any, any of the properties of our world. There is no answer to the question, how big is God? There is no answer to the question, how old is God? There is no answer to the question, how powerful is God? Because any way that we seek to measure those things would just be our games with language. And those measures just have no meaning when it comes to God. In fact, whatever language we use to describe God, although it might be true, it will always somehow fall short of the godness of God, who is above and beyond all things. And yet here's the thing, this same God is also close to us. In fact, he's so close that he speaks with us and he knows us and we listen to him. And when we pray to him, he listens to us. And he answers our prayers. The God who is so big that he, he transcends everything that we can know and understand is so close to us that we can speak with him on a daily basis and he really cares. And we, so we can truly know him. We can know him because he has revealed himself to us, revealed himself to us in his word and chiefly in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God. Now, as soon as we come to grips with this idea that God was there before the beginning, a kind of humbling reality comes crashing in upon us. That we are but creatures. And God is our creator. We are manufactured by God. In fact, we're mass-produced by God for His purposes in accordance with his will. And so as much as we don't like to admit it, a God who has made us can certainly tell us how to think and what to feel and what to do. And God can even judge us. He can judge whether or not we have performed according to the manufacturer's specifications, according to whether or not we have lived and, and obeyed the purpose that he has made us for. And so it's no surprising that as we keep reading in Genesis chapters 1 to 3, we'll see that actually it's full of the language of good and evil. Because the language of good and evil is the language of purpose. You know whether or not something is good or, or something is bad based on whether or not it fulfills the purpose for which it was created or at least given to it by its owner. So take, for example, my car. I had a, an old Honda and it was a good car. It did exactly what I wanted it to do. It got me and my family safely from A to B and in the process didn't cost me too much money. Uh, but then, about kind of 18 months ago, we had another baby. We had our little Archie. 
And all of a sudden, I couldn't fit three car seats across the back of the car. And so all of a sudden, it became the bad car. The Honda was evil. It couldn't do what I needed it to do. And so it was judged and it was found wanting. It was replaced by the Mazda. And the Mazda became the good car because it could do what I needed it to do. It could fulfill the purpose that I had given it. It's good or it's bad based on the purpose for for which it was created or at least what was defined by its owner. And so too it is for us and God. If there is a God, if there is a manufacturer, then we are good or bad based on whether or not we do as God made us to do, whether or not we fulfil our purpose that he has given us. No, as soon as we understand that God is before the beginning, we begin to realise just how small, just how humble and just how much we belong to God. But secondly then, there was also something else that was there before the beginning. Before the beginning, there was also love. Before the beginning, there was also love. Uh, Love transcends creation because love was before creation. Time, matter, space, energy, these things are all created. But love was not created. Now, humans have, I think, we've always really kind of had a sense of this, haven't we? We've always kind of had an understanding that somehow love is special, uh, that somehow love is different from all the other things in this world, you know? Uh, Love will find a way. Love makes the world go around. Love is all you need. It's basically the plot of every second story or or, or every second uh, kind of movie that you see. Uh, and it even pops up in some of the most unexpected places. I remember uh, years ago now watching uh, a movie called Interstellar. I wonder if some of you have seen that one. It's a hard science fiction movie written by Christopher Nolan with an emphasis on scientific realism. You think love is never going to come up in this story. And yet halfway through the movie, everything stops so that Anne Hathaway can has, have a speech about how love transcends the universe and how love is actually the main plot, the main, main theme of this whole kind of movie. And it felt like such a cliche when I saw it at the time. And yet, when we come back here to these early chapters of Genesis, we actually realise that it's true. That that human instinct that love is somehow special is absolutely right. And that love is there before the creation of our world. A little piece of eternity in our hearts that God has put there. But let me explain. In verse 1... God is there before the beginning. But in verse 2, so is the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, uh, hovering almost like a mother bird over her young. And in Genesis, God and the Spirit don't create by themselves. They create by the Word of God. They speak and it is the Word that creates. And so you have God, you have the Spirit of God, and you even have the Word of God all there right before the beginning. And as we keep going through the story of the Bible, we begin to realise that actually the Word of God is more than just God's words. The Word of God is actually the Son of God. The Son of God who becomes the man, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, when he is born into this world. And so right back there, right at the very beginning of the the story, right back there at the beginning before creation, you have what we Christians call the Trinity. We have the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
all there together, all together creating the world. And so before the beginning, you have love. You have the love that is inside God. The love that the Father and the Son and the Spirit each have for each other from eternity. In fact, in John chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus will go on to speak about the love that he shared with the Father since before the creation of the world. In other words, God did not create love. As 1 John chapter 4 says, God is love. Just as God has no beginning and no end, neither does the love that God has have a beginning or an end. The eternal pre-creation existence of God was not cold. It was not lonely. It was not solitary. God did not create because he needed someone else in order to love them or that he needed to be loved by someone else. God has always been love in and of himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And when we love, when we love truly as God loves, then there is something eternal even something divine about that. Love is not one of the most fundamental things in our universe. Love is the most fundamental thing in our universe. Now just stop and think about this for a moment. Because this, I think, is incredibly significant. Because I think right here is our purpose. I think right here is the very reason why God made us. After all, According to the Lord Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And that we love our neighbour as ourself. And by these two commands, says the Lord Jesus, you sum up all of the prophets, you sum up all of the word of God. You sum up everything that God expects of us and everything that God made us to be and to do. All that he manufactured for us. To be. God doesn't create us in order to have something to love, but a God who is love within himself, a God who is eternally love and is defined by his love, is a God who will naturally create, is a God who will naturally love what he creates, and a God who will naturally create something who will love him back and who will love each other, just as he has eternally loved. However, We live in a world that has, by and large, rejected our manufacturer. And therefore, we have rejected our God who is love. And we have rejected His way of loving. We haven't lost that sense that somehow love is special. But now, how we love and what we love is is very different. And so our world, you know, we, we think relationships are good, we think relationships are nice, we think relationships are special... But, you know, if they get in the way of the thing that I really want, you know, if they get in the way of career or if they get in the way of studies or if they get in the way of success or or pleasure or advancement or, or all sorts of things, we'll very happily cast them aside. We'll very happily cast aside romantic relationships, cast aside family, cast aside friendships if we feel that they're holding us back from what we truly desire. Relationships in our world tend to become, at best, kind of temporary, mutually beneficial alliances. We tend to look at other people and and say, well, yes, I love you, but really what I love is what you can do for me. And so how can you make my life better? 
how can you serve me? Uh, How can you increase in my life whatever it is that I want to increase? We often love people for what they can do for us, much more than we love them. We love selfishly, don't we? We love for our own sake, rather than for the sake of others. And somehow it's not something that we ever need to, to be taught how to do. I've been trying to teach my kids how to share since, well, basically since they were born. Uh, but basically so far what I've managed to achieve is to teach them that when your sibling has something that you want, what you do is you go up to them and you tell them that it's time to share. <laughs> you know, we just, just so naturally, even from the time that we're children, we know how to be selfish with our love. And yet if there is a God, and that God is love from eternity, then love, real servant-hearted love, real servant-hearted love where we give, where we respect, where we serve, where we say, not can you make my life better, but actually, how can I make your life better? How can I give to you? How can I increase you? And especially when we say that with people who can give us nothing in return. Well, that's the kind of love that God loves with And that's the kind of love that he wants us to love with as well. That's the way that God manufactured us to love. To put being a servant before being selfish. To put the good of others before the good of ourselves. Because before the beginning there was God. And before the beginning there was love. But there was one other thing before the beginning. Or was there? It's a very strange little verse. Verse 2 in Genesis chapter 1. And it's hard to know what to make of it. And it seems to be suggesting something that could make many of us uncomfortable. Because verse 2 seems to be suggesting that somehow there was darkness before the beginning. Uh, Verse 1, when... God created the heavens and the earth, verse 1 is actually a heading. It it kind of is describing what the whole chapter will be about. In fact, uh, everything from verse 1, 1 all the way through to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, And then Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 is kind of the next heading. That's the way uh, Genesis works. It gives us headings every couple of chapters or so. Uh, But verse 1 is just a heading and the real work of creation, it seems to me, begins in verse 3. When God speaks and says, let there be light, and light suddenly appears. And all of that kind of seems to make sense, except that it leaves verse 2 kind of hanging out there very strangely. Because in verse 2, there is this this darkness, Uh, there is this, this formlessness, there is this emptiness, there is this almost primordial chaos and darkness. And it seems almost to be there from before the beginning. Now, many of you would kind of say at this point, no, no, that that can't be right. Aren't there verses in the Bible that says that there is nothing that God uh, hasn't created, that everything that exists God has created? And I would say to you, yes, absolutely there are. And some of you who are very astute might even say, aren't there even verses in the Bible that say that God created the darkness? And I would say, absolutely, yes, they are. And yet Genesis, in the story that it seems to be telling us, seems to be saying that in some way there was darkness there before those first words of creation 
was spoken. And Genesis is telling us its own story on its own terms. And so we ought for at least a moment, listen. And in Genesis, it seems that God does not create the darkness. But he does create its opposite. He does create light. He does separate the darkness from the light. But the the darkness was never created is a fascinating idea. It's always fascinated me. But the darkness is not a presence of a thing. The darkness is an absence of a thing. The darkness is the absence of God and the absence of love. The darkness is the absence of light and all the other things that God will create. The absence of of life and meaning and purpose. For when God speaks and light appears, suddenly there there appears meaning and purpose. They spring at once into being and at the word of God the darkness retreats and is mastered. And so the darkness is not a rival to God and yet it does in some ways almost feel like it's an alternative to God. It's almost as if where there is God and there is God's word, there is light. But where there is not God, there is darkness. And it's almost as if without the the protective shelter of God's word to create light and to create meaning and to create life, there is nothing but darkness. And if you remove yourself from the protection of God's word, then you invite the darkness into your life. Now, I think that there are many places in the Bible where we see this to be true. And we'll look at the most famous one of them in a few weeks' time when we get to Genesis chapter 3, where the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, they leave the protective shelter of God's Word. They do what God commanded them not to do. And darkness enters into their world. All that was good, all that was blessing, suddenly will become curse. And there are many other times in the Bible where things like this happen as well. In the time of Noah, people had removed themselves from the shelter of God's word. And so God handed them over to the darkness of the flood. In the book of Exodus, Pharaoh removes himself from the protective shelter of God's word. He refuses to listen to God. And so he and all Egypt experience the darkness of the plagues and even the plague of darkness. In other words, if we go against the way that God has manufactured us, if we willingly choose to remove ourselves from the protective shelter of God's word, God does not need to catch us in order to punish us. We will have invited the darkness into our life. And things will begin to fall apart. Darkness and decay and brokenness and emptiness and meaningless will start to seep through the cracks into our world and into our life. And we know this to be true. In our relationships, when we do love selfishly, when we do love for our own sake rather than for the sake of others, it does tremendous damage to our relationships, doesn't it? We've all seen, in fact, we might sense, in fact, we might even now be in a relationship where we realise actually we have loved selfishly or we've been loved selfishly and it hurts. Broken marriages, families that are crumbling and falling apart, friendships that have taken years to cultivate that can be broken in a hasty moment, all because of selfish love. 
No, if you remove yourself from the protective shelter of God's word, then you invite the darkness into your life. And all will fall back into that uncreated blackness. And that's what sin is. When the Bible talks about sin, it's not just talking about the wrong things that we do, although it is the wrong things that we do. It's not even just talking about the times that we disobey God or or fail to listen to Him, although it is a failure to listen to God. Sin is, in so many ways, a failure to remain in the protective shelter of God's Word. And without that shelter, to create life and light and order and meaning. Our life fills with brokenness and disorder and hurt and confusion. And ultimately, it destroys us. And all of us know this in our heart of hearts. All of us have sinned. All of us are part of a a humanity-wide rebellion against God, a humanity-wide refusal to find the protection and shelter under the Word of God. And once again, the forces of uncreated darkness have crept into our world and daily our news feeds feed up. They fill up with the, the chaos and the darkness of our world as our world slips further and further away from God's Word and the light that it creates. And so what can be done? What can, can we do? And the answer is we can do nothing. We are the manufactured ones. We have a beginning. We have an end. We are no match for the darkness that we have invited into our lives. We are, are such small things. We are at the mercy of things from before the beginning. But before the beginning, there was a fourth thing. There was God There was love, there was darkness, but there was also a plan. A plan made by God. A plan made out of his love for us. A plan to send his son into the world to become one of us, to become Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave himself over to the darkness instead of us. Our ultimate rescue from the darkness comes by Jesus giving himself over to the ultimate expression of darkness, over to death. The Creator dying for his creation. And the darkness took Jesus instead of us, but it could not hold him. Death could not conquer him, for he is the Word of God by which the very light of our universe was created. And so once again, because of the death and because of the resurrection of Jesus, all who come to Jesus, all who cling to him, can once again find protection and shelter in him under the word of God. Before the beginning, there was God, there was love, there was darkness, and there was a plan, a plan for our salvation, a plan for us to spend eternity with him. These words that we've looked at tonight, they're just the beginning, just the beginning of the story. But even in these few verses, we can see the whole shape 
of the story to come. The story of our salvation and our rescue from the darkness. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are God. We thank you that you are the one who has created us and created this whole universe. And yet, Lord, we thank you even more that you are the one who sent your Son into the world to save us. That when we, along with all the rest of humanity, willingly removed us from the protective shelter of your word, you didn't give up on us, you didn't abandon us to the darkness. But you came into our world and you, your Son, gave himself to the darkness. He died in our place so that we could be rescued, not just for a moment, Lord, but that we could be rescued for eternity from that darkness. To live with you in the light of your presence forever.